Well, finally, the Cardinal are back and competing on the farm. National Signing Day is in the books, and one of the best ever to take the floor in a Stanford uniform joins the show. Yes, indeed, you're here for an action-packed episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network. Glad to have you here with us on Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. Hope that you have had a great week so far, that you are staying healthy and doing everything you can to make sure that others stay healthy, and that you're being kind to everyone out there. Howdy! In case you're not familiar with me, I'm Troy Cleary. 28 years of following Stanford sports. Began my seventh year of, of Pac-12 Network play-by-play just a couple weeks ago. A real treat to uh, call uh, Stanford women's basketball and their win over USC down in Santa Cruz a couple of weeks ago. And as it turned out, that was the uh, the finale for Stanford basketball at Santa Cruz. At least we hope anyway. But uh, more on that in a second. But uh, great to have you with us here on the TreeCast. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy Clarity. Last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. But the really big name you're going to hear on this show is our special guest, Casey Jacobson, one of the best ever to do it for Stanford men's basketball. And now he's calling games for the Pac-12 Network and for Fox. You actually saw him on Tuesday night on the call for FS1 for Stanford versus uh, USC in uh, the Cardinals' close loss uh, to the Trojans. So we'll get Casey Jacobson's thoughts on a lot of different things. Really looking forward to uh, talking all things Cardinal basketball now and then with him. Last time we talked one-on-one was was 2001, I believe, the after the Elite Eight game down in Anaheim in which uh, Cardinal came up short to Maryland. Uh, I remember being in the locker room and talking with Casey one-on-one and interviewing him after that. And I believe this will be our first one-on-one chance to chat since then. I'm sure this conversation will be a bit more upbeat. So Casey Jacobson coming up, as is Stanford head football coach David Shaw. will get his thoughts on National Signing Day. You'll hear those uh, coming up later on in the show. But first, this bit of business. A reminder that there, there is a pretty big football game of some import coming up on on Sunday, I'm told. Yes, it it, it is true. And you can get in on all the action surrounding that game at betonline.ag. You got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the first team ever to play in this particular big game on its own home field. Niners came close back in the mid-80s. The Rams came close before them. But Tampa Bay, the first team to do it. But Buccaneers are currently a a three-and-a-half-point underdog to Kansas City, who's looking to win back-to-back titles. No one's done that in over 15 years. BetOnline has hundreds of props on the game, including game MVP, margin of victory, and even the length of the national anthem. Always available online or on your mobile device. Visit BetOnline today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I am not willing to place an over-under on the uh, poundage of nachos that I'm going to consume in all likelihood um, on Sunday. Casey Jacobson coming up in just a minute. But first, uh, our three things that you need to know right now around Stanford Athletics. Let's fire it up with number one. And it's the biggest news for Stanford Athletics since our last episode a couple of weeks ago. The Cardinal are back and competing on campus again. 
uh, the COVID-19 health directive from Santa Clara County from November 28th that pro prohibited and prevented training and competition for college and pro sports in the county was updated last week and that gave Stanford sports programs the green light to return to the farm. So both Stanford men's and women's basketball back at Maples after calling Santa Cruz home base for the past few weeks. On Tuesday night, Stanford men played their first game at Maples Pavilion in 338 days. More on that game in a second. Stanford women scheduled to return to Maples on Friday. They actually played one game, their season opener against Cal Poly at Maples before having to relocate and becoming a road show. And they'll be looking for a little revenge against Colorado, so that should be a very intriguing game. Good news for basketball and good news for other Stanford programs as well. Which brings us to number two. And let's get a snapshot on a few other Stanford programs as their seasons ramp up. Women's soccer slated to begin its national title defense with a couple of home matches. February 14th versus Santa Clara. That's always a big deal. And February 17th against the University of San Francisco. Conference action begins February 26th. Cardinal picked to win the Pac-12. No Katarina Macario. She's off overseas with the pros and playing with the U.S. Women's national team, but Stanford's still far and away one of the best teams in the country. Men's soccer is the preseason number four team in the country, according to topdrawersoccer.com. First game on the schedule, as I say, this is on February 20th at Cal, home opener March 7th versus UCLA. Pac 12 schedules have also been announced for baseball and softball. Stanford baseball begins conference action on March 19th, softball on March 26th. Women's gymnastics was slated to start its season on February 15th against Utah and the Red Rocks. That's always a big deal too, but that meet had to be canceled because Stanford didn't feel comfortable having enough training time in advance of that meet. So now the Cardinal are scheduled to begin at Arizona State on February 20th with their new home opener now slated to be February 26th against Arizona at Maples. Let's wrap up three things with number three. And Stanford men's basketball played its first game at Maples Pavilion this season, and it took until February 2nd for it to happen. We went over those reasons earlier in three things. Cardinal hosted USC on a rare Tuesday night matchup. The last two times the card were supposed to meet USC, both of those games were postponed due to COVID-19 issues with the Trojans. Well, the third time was the charm for USC. Trojans got the 72-66 win. Cardinal were up by seven with 10 minutes to go, but USC fought back, tied it at 64 with 314 left, then took the lead for good with 118 to go. Stanford did not score over the final minute and 45. After the game, Cardinal head coach Jared Haas on what did not go right down the stretch. You know, the intent of what we were trying to do was good, but uh, whether it was you know, getting off balance or uh, not making the appropriate cut, um, we were not able to get in position and make those plays. Uh, we want to try and put the ball in Oscar's hands and Spencer's hands and Jaden's hands uh, to play to their strengths. But uh, um, I need to find what better ways or more efficient ways to make sure we're doing that. That's Jared Hass. And yeah, career nights for Jaden Dallaire with 22 points and Michael O'Connell with 20 points. But Stanford also played this one without Bryce Wills and Deshaun Davis. They've been out with injuries of late. And Zaire Williams, who is out with a family matter. Tuesday night, Haas did not know if any or all three of those young men would be available for Stanford's next home game, or next game rather, which is on Thursday up in Berkeley against Cal. Cardinal now 10-7 on the season. 
six and five and in sixth place in the Pac-12 as of Wednesday morning and squarely on the NCAA tournament bubble. Those are three things. Well, for more on that result for Stanford men's basketball from Tuesday night, let us bring in our special guest. Really fired up to have this conversation because you've seen our special guest on the Pac-12 Network. You've seen him call games for Fox. And heck, you actually saw him on Tuesday night on the uh, color analysis uh, for Stanford versus USC on FS1. You've also seen him on the Stanford basketball court. Man, what a fantastic player he was for the Cardinal. Three-time All-Pac-10, two-time All-American, and the Pac-10 Freshman of the Year in 2000. What a treat and an honor to be joined right now by the one and only Casey Jacobson on this week's episode of the TreeCast. Casey, thanks a bunch. Appreciate the time. How are you doing today? Troy, I'm doing fantastic. I'm hanging out in my house in Southern California, prepping for another game tomorrow. Um, yeah, Washington State at Oregon. But uh, it, that was a fantastic and really competitive game. USC played last, uh, USC and Stanford played last night. And uh, happy to be on the podcast with you. I could talk hoops all day and all night. So you're going to have to cut me off. <laughs> no worries about that. And, and let's get your further thoughts on uh, on Tuesday night's result. And what were some of your biggest takeaways from Tuesday night's result at Maples? Well, you know, for the last two weeks, Troy, Stanford's been extremely shorthanded. I mean, when you're missing one starter, okay. If you're missing two starters, that's tough. When you're missing three, that's something that's a different animal that you're fighting. Um, Cause then you're really going to have to dig deep into your bench. You're really going to have to ask role players who may not be ready. Let's be honest. They're, they're good players, but they're young. They're raw. They're not, they're not quite ready to, to, you know, shoulder 25 minutes and, and 10 shots a game. But they have really navigated it well. Um, it's been impressive. So, you know, th there's no moral victories when you're trying to fight for an NCAA tournament uh, berth. You're either winning or you're losing. But I thought that Stanford uh, was incredibly resilient and tough. And then also consider, Troy, the best player in the Pac-12, Oscar Silva, picks up two early fouls in the first four minutes of the game and doesn't pretty much play the rest of the first half. He only has one basket, which was a made three, I think, in the second possession of the game, first or second possession. And then nothing from him for the rest of the first half, yet they go into the half up three. So just really impressed with how Jaden Dallaire has stepped into um, – I'm not ready to call him a superstar yet, but he has stepped up into being a really nice role piece into, hey, you can count on this guy for – between 17 to 20 points a night. And uh, that, that, that's a surprise that I can say that now. Um, and then I also like to shout out Mike O'Connell. I think that O'Connell in a year where, where I wasn't expecting much from him, spot minutes maybe, learning the position from, from Dejan and playing behind guys, has come in and, and steadied the offense. Um, you know, he has struggled with his, his three-point shot at times. But the rest of his game is really polished. He's strong. He's excellent in the open court. He can take uh, contact and finish at the rim. And he's a really good passer. So there's some silver lining going on with, with the Stanford team. But that loss, Troy, being very honest, that loss against USC really puts pressure on, on Stanford now because they're definitely going to be on the bubble talk uh, for the rest of the season probably. It puts pressure on them to really finish the se season strong. But maybe they can do it if they get healthy.
Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. That, of course, is priority number one in O'Connell. Terrific. Doesn't turn the ball over, at least hasn't turned the ball over uh, and had the major turnovers that you might expect uh, from a young player uh, such as himself. Uh, Are enough people talking about Oscar Da Silva maybe on a national level? I think people up and down the conference know what he's capable and seen what he's done more often than not night in and night out. But are enough people on a national scale aware of what this guy can do? No, certainly not. But, you know, there's a couple of factors that go into that. One is an East Coast bias. I don't think there's a lot of East Coast basketball fans, and there are a lot because there's a lot of – there's. if you look at a map – I did this a little bit ago, Troy. If you look at a map of college basketball programs um, in America, it is outrageous how concentrated it is in the Midwest and East Coast. And you get to, you know, like Texas and west of Texas, and there are not a lot of ranked basketball programs, not a lot of well-known basketball programs. Um, And so the East Coast fans, they go to bed oftentimes when Stanford and other teams in the Pac-12, Gonzaga, are tipping off. Um, And so they're just not as well-versed on what the Pac-12 has to offer. And then um, the other thing, fact is that the Pac-12 only has one ranked team right now and so they're not quite as relevant on the national stage so those two factors go into now not a lot of people know about Oscar but they should I I would put him as um, a top five big guy like power forwards or centers in the country Oscar da Silva is in the top five Luca Garza from Iowa is probably uh, or not probably he's definitely the top of, of that list and Evan Mobley, who who, uh, who showed out last night against Stanford as well, I, I would put in the top five in that category. Yeah, and Oscar Silva may be one of the best stories of anyone um, in the country himself. Uh, we obviously haven't seen a lot of Zaire Williams. He's missed the last four games while he tends to a, tends to a family matter. Super high profile recruit, super high expectations of him and his game and and what to expect from him. You're a high-profile recruit yourself. So g- given, given that, you know, having been in his shoes in similar situations from, from that standpoint, how does that kind of uh, color your uh, assessment of what Zaire has been all about, what he's been able to show Stanford so far this season, and what he could show the rest of the way? It's a really good question because, um, Troy, I came into Stanford in 1999. The 99-2000 season was my freshman year. And college basketball has changed dramatically in that amount of time, just over 20 years. You know, one and dones were so rare when I uh, was in college. Even the best players in the nation, guys like Jay Williams at Duke, um, um, guys like that, they stayed at least two years and most often three years. And now it's just so different. And I bring that up because – when I decided after my sophomore year, I was the first team All-American. Our team was number one uh, seed in the Western region of the NCAA tournament. We lost in the uh, Elite Eight to Maryland. I, I was deciding to, to come back or to enter the NBA draft. And um, I went through some workouts and I decided to, to stay, um, to stay and, and, and play a junior season. And I felt a lot of pressure that year that my junior year I'm talking about, I felt a lot of pressure to not only help my Stanford team win, but also individually to up my draft stock. It it was, I'm not going to lie. It was on my mind often. And I bring that up because 
Zaire is having to do that his freshman season. I mean, everybody's freshman season is tough. It's hard to adjust physically and mentally and academically to Stanford. It just is. To then throw on top of all that pressure to be a lottery pick, it's just a lot. I'm just going to say that. I don't know Zaire really well personally, but I can sympathize with what he is facing, the expectations he has of himself and the expectations that the outside world has of Zaire. Um, it has been an up and down season. He has shown flashes where he's going to be a lottery pick. I can, I can kind of guarantee it unless something weird happens. Um, he's going to be a lottery pick, but there have been times where it's been bumpy for, for Zaire. I'm watching him. He's, he, he turns the ball over a lot. Um, his shooting percentages, especially from three, have not um, been as good as his shooting stroke would indicate it should be. Um, but still just just growing. You know, I, I'm wondering, um, you know, he's dealing with some personal issues and, and uh, please give him all the time he needs. But I wonder how how he will look when he does return soon uh, to, to help Stanford with this with this end of the season run to an NCAA tournament berth. We'll, we'll see, I guess. Let me get your thoughts on the Pac-12 as we sit right here and start to really get into the heart of the schedule. As we speak, UCLA at 9-1, and one, that lone loss to Stanford in the closing moments. You were, you were on the call for that game. USC right behind. How can they hold off everyone else, do you think, at this point right now? Um, you know, to be honest, I think Oregon, if they get healthy, which they haven't been, um, but they might soon, I'm actually calling their game uh, in a day against Washington State. Will Richardson has been out with a broken thumb on his shooting hand all season. They believe he should be back maybe by tomorrow. If I think, you know, Oregon's the most talented team. They just have had some issues with COVID and injuries. Like I mentioned, Nafali Dante, their starting center, also torn ACL. He's out for the year. Um those are the three best teams, UCLA, USC, and Oregon. But, you know, really interesting, USC and UCLA are going to play each other coming up here this weekend. Uh, obviously, the biggest matchup that we've had in the Pac-12 all season long up until this point. And, um, yeah, I think UCLA is a more consistent performing basketball team. They've been clearly the most efficient offense in the Pac-12. A little bit surprising how well they've shot the ball from three in conference play that was not a strength of theirs last season and it's been mostly the same guys so kind of a head scratcher to me like uh, all of a sudden now they're a really good three-point shooting team doesn't make any sense um they're not quite as good defensively and it's going to be harder for them to finish in and around the lane against um Evan Mobley in that game so kind of a interesting thing to keep your eye on is if, if UCLA can get any uh, shots around the basket to go but to me, Oregon's that sleeping giant. They're four and two right now. They've only played six games. Mm -hmm. But but if they get right, Troy, Oregon, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they rip off six or seven in a row in the month of February. Any potential spoiler teams in that mix for you in the next few weeks? Well, Oregon State's already been a spoiler. Oregon State surprisingly beat Oregon at Oregon. They beat USC. Um, so they're a team that – you know, they got Ethan Thompson at the point guard position, a senior that knows everything. And they have a, re a really hot shoot, hot and cold shooter in Jared Lucas. And that's kind of the formula that they've used to knock off a couple of teams. But, um, you know, Arizona State, to me, would be the obvious spoiler because they were picked preseason number two. <laughs> and now here they sit at three and five. Um, you know, they just, they did, they have won their last two games, but this is a really talented offensive team. Don't play a lot of defense and can't really 
rebound the ball on a consistent level, but Remy Martin and Alonzo Verge and, jo and uh, Josh Christopher and Marcus Bagley, you're not going to find a foursome that is as dangerous scoring the basketball in the conference as Arizona State has. They just haven't really figured it out, but I don't think anybody wants to play them right now. Um, they're a hungry team that's just desperate to win any games they can. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right there, right there with you on that. In a lot of ways, it wasn't a surprise to see me, uh, for, for me to see how Stanford uh, fared against the Sun Devils in some ways uh, in that game down at the Valley of the Sun over the weekend. Um, let's get to you and your days uh, on the farm. You were part of some of the greatest teams that Stanford men's basketball has has ever produced. As you mentioned, your, your freshman year was was 1999-2000. And I remember asking Brevin Knight this when I had him on the show uh, last spring. I definitely want to ask this to you as well. What did you bring? When you came into the program, what did you bring to Stanford men's basketball that, that maybe it hadn't had before? Um, I don't think I brought anything that they hadn't had before. I mean, you know, you're talking about Todd Lichty, Adam Keefe, Brevin Knight. And before I got there, Troy, you know, when I was a freshman in high school, I did not consider going to Stanford for two reasons. One, I didn't think I was good, smart enough to get in. And two, when I was a freshman, Stanford wasn't on the national map of college basketball. They just weren't. They, they weren't a, a perennial power like UCLA had been or Arizona had been. And so, um, you know, I went to school, high school, Glendora High School, just uh, outside of uh, Los Angeles County. And, you know, I was a top 25 nationally ranked player and I wanted to play for a huge program. And so when I was young, Stanford wasn't, wasn't in the top 25 really. And then they really hit their peak with Arthur Lee, Pete Sauer, Chris Weems, Mark Manson, and that group, Tim Young, um, they hit, they made a Final Four in uh, 1998, and that put Stanford on the national stage, not just in general terms, but for me as a young man. I was like, wow, Stanford is beating Arizona and UCLA and all the teams on the West Coast. They won the Pac-12. And so it was then when I actually thought, Stanford, for how amazing a school it is, maybe I could go there. Um, but then to answer your question, like, what did I bring? I, you know, I was, I had good size for my position. I'm six, six as a shooting guard, which is, you know, above average. I think the one strength uh, or maybe the two best things that I bring is uh, three point shooting, which, you know, Stanford did not have a ton of uh, when I came in because they lost, remember they lost Chris Weems yep. and they lost Arthur uh, Lee and they lost Peter Sauer, all the graduation. Those are three of the best marksmen that they had. It was me and Ryan Mendez who then became the best uh, three-point threats on the, on the on the team, but but they needed three-point shooting. So I would say I brought that. And then my, you know, I think my biggest strength as a player was my maniacal competitive drive. I was a crazy person. I mean that in the best sense of the word, Troy. I <laughs> I wasn't always the easiest teammate, and you can ask anybody who played with me. I wasn't a bad. I'm not saying I was a bad teammate but I was not an easy personality. I was very, very serious about winning and playing well. It was, it was like a job to me. Basketball wasn't like, oh, it's just fun. Let's go play. I was like, no, I want to go out and kick some butt every, every day, every game. And um, I, I thought that trait served me well. Um, and, you know, luckily I was paired with a bunch of teammates who loved basketball and wanted to win too. 
Yeah, and, and they won a lot. And and that 98 team, as you mentioned, went to the Final Four. The 2004 team was, was a lot more. They had, certainly had some great dramatic moments. But that 2001 squad was, I think, without a doubt, the best collection of talent that Stanford has ever put forth on the floor. Take me back to that team and, and what made that squad in that season so special. Yeah, I mean, I'm biased, but I agree. Even though we didn't make a Final Four, I think that that was the best uh, collection, top to bottom, offense and defense combination that Stanford's ever had. Um, and I remember we set the NCAA uh, Division One record for field goal percentage defense, which I believe has been broken since. I don't think we hold it now. Now we're number two all time. But teams just couldn't score on us, Troy. We had Jason and Jaron, okay? Because the year before, my freshman year, uh, Jason was hurt the right. entire year. So right. we only had, had Jaron, who's good. Um, and, and we had Mark Madsen, so we were still awesome. But then my second year, we had Jason and Jaron. Not only were they two of the best five big guys in the country scoring the ball, but they were so tough to score against. And that, that emboldened players like myself who, you know, I was not a great uh, individual defender. I was adequate. I'm okay, but I'm not great. But I knew that if I made a mistake, my brothers would clean, would clean it up. And you, you know what that does to a team? It just, it just gives you so much confidence. Um, and then, you know, kind of our unsung hero, I would say, was Mike McDonald. We had a lot of NBA players, Troy, on that team, that 2001 team. Mike McDonald was not one of them, uh, but he was as uh, you know vital to our success as any player, I'd argue, because you can't win in college basketball without a a good point guard. You just can't. Um, so not only was he was he was a six one. He was from Long Beach, but he he shot well over forty percent from three. You couldn't leave him open but he didn't care about scoring and, and wanted to distribute. And then he was also a really strong defender. So he was, he was uh, just as much our anchor as the Collins twins. But honestly, we didn't have any real weakness except one. We weren't super fast and super athletic. And so when we ran into Maryland, who, you know, played the national title game that year, um, or excuse me, I think they lost to Duke in the final four, but um, they were, they were superior in athleticism. I don't think they were superior in skill, but they were certainly faster, longer. They jumped higher than us, and we struggled a little bit with their length in that particular game. But look, man, I look back on my college career, and you know, I played in the NBA. I played in Europe for many years, and that 2001 team, Troy, probably the best team that I have played on as far as chemistry, as far as skill, as far as the belief that we had in each other. And I just regret that it didn't um, work out and in, in, into a Final Four, but hey, it wasn't for lack of, of effort. Yeah, and, and certainly some fantastic moments along the way. The big comeback against Duke at uh, the Oakland Coliseum Arena, being in the building that night was just absolute magic. And of course, uh, one of the most iconic photos in Stanford Athletics history, you hitting the key three-pointer, running back up the court, and Tiger Woods in the background going nuts. Please tell me you have like a poster size of that shot somewhere in your house or something like that right now. Please oh, tell me that. I do. I have a poster size and, and Tiger Woods did sign it. He awesome. said, yeah, he signed it. Hell of a shot. Your friend, Tiger Woods. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that was, uh, you know, because we didn't make a final four, I, I wish I could have had that feeling, but uh, you know, from an individual perspective, I'll never forget that game. Um, that was right before Christmas in 2000. So it was the 2000, 2001 season, the team that we're talking about. 
and uh, Duke was number one in the country. We were number three. We were both undefeated. And it was at Oracle, the old uh, um, arena where the Warriors play. Yeah. And to that day, or uh, since that time, I think it's still the record for most fans attending a college basketball game in the state of California. It was like 20,000 um, people watching that game. And just, um, yeah, we, we were getting our tails kicked, if I'm going to be honest, in that game. We were getting our butts kicked for the majority of that game. Uh, by the way, Duke ended up winning the national title that year. They had Shane Battier, Jay Williams, Carlos Boozer, Ben Levy. Um, and we scored, though, on the final 14 possessions. If you wrap your mind around that, um, yeah. So we were, we were getting our tails kicked, but we figured it out. And we went on a run. They couldn't, they couldn't stop us. Uh, my shot at the end of the game. But uh, you know what's scary, Troy, is Jay Williams gets the uh, – after I make the shot, Jay Williams gets the inbound pass and races the length of the, of the floor – and almost makes a runner like it was a it was a running layup that like rolled around the rim and then fell off and man that would have been just a gut punch like no other if that shot goes in but uh, needless to say I had a really nice Christmas uh, that season <laughs> yeah that was that was a lot of fun just to be in that uh, be in that building and to be a part of that uh, a couple last things here for you uh, you mentioned you played in the NBA then you played overseas then you came back and got your Stanford degree as a 35-year-old undergrad. What was that experience like? Oh, man, one of the best of my life. I can, uh, well, you know, I, I always wanted to get my degree. And even though I left, you know, my junior year at Stanford, I knew that eventually I'd, I'd go back. And one of the reasons why is my, my mother went and got her degree at the age of 44. So, like, there was an example in my home of a parent just saying, hey, I, I want to graduate from college and I'm going to do it. You don't have to be 22 years old to graduate from college. You can do it at any time in your life, right? So, um, I have three daughters now, Troy, and uh, I met my wife, Brittany, at Stanford, and um, she graduated. She's two years older than me. She graduated, okay, while I was still a junior at Stanford. And throughout our entire marriage, Troy, she had her Stanford degree framed in our office. She bought an additional frame and left it empty and hung it right next to hers as kind of motivation that's saying, hey, you're not done. You're going to do this. But to answer your question about the actual experience, it was way better than I even thought it would be. I, it was just me. So I, I left my wife and children in Southern California. They stayed behind. And I went in 2016 to the, um, it was, uh, I guess, fall quarter. So from September to the middle of December. And um, I lived with a, a family called the Osbournes that lived just right off of University Avenue and uh, rode my bike every day, 35 years old, rode my bike and my helmet to class. <laughs> and then here's the other part, um, so two, two parts. One is it's the only time in my Stanford academic career where I got straight A's. So I'm proud to say that I got straight A's in the four classes that I took that I needed to graduate. Um, and then the second thing was, I got to be a part of the practice squads for both the men's and the women's basketball teams. Right. So yeah. when I was, I was playing with the men and I was walking off the floor one day and Tara Vandeveer stopped me and said, Hey, I heard you're back. It's so great. You're coming to get your degree. I love it. Do you want to be a part of our men's practice squad as well? Like, do you have time to do that? And I was like, yeah, I got time. My family's not even here. All I'm doing is, is playing hoops with the team and, and doing studies so what a really neat experience that was to um, compete against the ladies um, at Stanford. You know, because I have three daughters, it also gave me some insight on the minds and, 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 and 
kind of how different men and women are, how different they are to coach and to interact with. And it was just an awesome experience to, to be a part of Tara Vanderveer's team that year. Yeah, wow. So that's really cool. You guys obviously got a chance to play for uh, Mike Montgomery, the Stanford uh, legend on the men's coaching side, but also for a little bit for Tara Vanderveer on the women's side. So that's, that's really cool to see. And it looks like, if I'm not mistaken, I see that degree over your right shoulder hanging on the wall yep. behind you. So congratulations on that. Uh, there it is. <laughs> As we wrap this up, let's get back to Stanford men's hoops. And how far do you think this Stanford team can go? And what needs to happen for it to get there? Man, that's, it's impossible to answer that question fully unless we know the health of the players that are out right now. So we know Zaire is healthy. There's not a physical issue with him. It's now he's in testing protocol and he's just got to test negative enough times to return to the floor. Um, and obviously he has a huge, you know, dynamic piece that they need. They really do need. Um, you know, Bryce Wills to me was one of the toughest he, he adds a, a grit that I'm not saying this team doesn't have without him, but like you can notice that they need a little extra juice on the defensive side of things, especially. Um, and then in the open floor, Bryce Wills is incredible finisher and probably the most uh, dynamic and explosive athlete on the roster. I mean, they really miss him. So if you could tell me that Stanford is going to be healthy. Now we're talking about a different team because you add that athleticism, that explosiveness, and, and some of that experience with Bryce and, and Dejan coming back. And then you now have a different Jaden Dallaire. I mean, he's a, he's a new player. Um, you, have, you have a new Mike O'Connell. You have a new Noah Tates. These guys have real experience under their belts. Um, they've made some mistakes. You know, they've been given a lot of minutes, and they've made mistakes, and they've lost a few games. But that is – invaluable experience that they've been given so like all of this thing all of this really can come around uh full circle they put a, a healthy stanford cardinal team on the floor and now you have guys that are all confident they, they they are no longer unsure of their capabilities and what they can do and that to me could be dangerous however the flip side of that coin if we're being totally honest troy is now some of these guys like Jaden Delaire isn't going to have as many shots as he's had. He's not going to play 30 minutes a night. You know, cause you have to, you have to give Bryce Wills and Zaire Williams time. I mean, these guys aren't 10 minutes a game players. So there is that give and take, like Michael Connell's not going to be playing 30 minutes a game. Jaden Delaire is not going to be shooting that much. Noah Tates might have to go back to playing spot minutes. And so there is that. All right, guys, we're going to have to ease everybody back into new roles could be clunky or it could be awesome so can't wait to see how it how it works out but let's get this team healthy yeah. as soon as possible yeah yeah so many pieces of the puzzle left to be uh put in place and hopefully it all adds up to stanford being back in the big dance where they've been trying to get back to for the last few years a guy who knows what it takes to compete and win in the big dance and to make big shots and is still calling games to this very day, Casey Jacobson. Casey, really appreciate the time. Best of luck. Best of health. Can't wait to be seeing a lot more of you in the weeks ahead. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much, Troy. Enjoyed our conversation, brother. Stay positive. Test negative. Yeah, man, that's the plan. <laughs> that's the plan. Thanks a bunch uh, to uh, Casey Jacobson uh, for joining us here on the show. Really cool. Really cool stuff. I, I, I really... 
and in particular appreciated his insight on, on all the things that Zaire Williams is juggling right now as a potential lottery pick at the end of the year. And, and add to all of those things that Casey discussed, uh, trying to go to school during a pandemic. Let, let's, let's make sure that, that that is in the picture as well. Awesome that uh, Casey got that picture signed by Tiger Woods himself. Man, I, I I would have that front and center in my house. That that's really cool, really good stuff. And and really, I, I thought intriguing uh, thoughts from Casey on why Oscar da Silva kind of kind of flies underneath the national radar. Nice to see some of the things that Stanford has done without Bryce Wills and Dejon Davis and Zaire Williams. It's cool to see guys like Dallaire and O'Connell step forward and De Silva hold it down. But look, Stanford needs those three guys back if, if they want to uh, remove themselves from bubble talk and uh, start to be in the conversation for being, oh yeah, yeah, these guys are in. These guys are in and they're capable of doing big time things in the NCAA tournament. Really cool to have Casey Jacobson on to break it all down with us. David Shaw's thoughts on National Signing Day coming up in just a moment or so. But first, this. The TreeCast continues and we're going to head into National Signing Day festivities. The early signing day happened in mid-December. But February 3rd, the first Wednesday in February, uh, continues to be National Signing Day. The bulk of the class was signed uh, back in December, but the Cardinal did complete its recruiting class of 21 on Wednesday with two more young men signing their letters of intent, both of them from North Texas and both of them offensive linemen. Stanford head football coach David Shaw met with the media on Wednesday afternoon, and he gave us more on that as well as his complete look at the new class. An exciting day today. Uh, I know we, we did a version of this not too long ago. Um, not a whole lot has changed, but there's one, uh, one big addition, uh, literally one big addition, um, Austin UK from Dallas, Texas. Um, just uh, an, an outstanding offensive lineman. Um, he's a tackle with length and athleticism and a physical nature um, that gets you excited as a football coach. Um, but much like when I saw Andres, much like um, when you saw Walker Little, um, this is a guy that probably could play anywhere along the offensive line that he wants to. Um, we see him as a tackle and um, look forward to getting him hopefully uh, playing time early, much like we did with Miles Hinton this past year. Um, and uh, we think it's a great addition to the football team. Um, the, uh, the, the, most of the guys stand pat. They're now kind of coming to focus this whole group here. Um, the, the, the defensive backs, you know, you just need volume in our conference. And then we were a little light in particular, anticipating losing um, some guys uh, going on this year. Glad we signed the four that we did. Um, you know, uh, the defensive line being low in numbers. Um, love the guys that we have, but then adding three guys we think that can help us uh, as well. Um, big addition to our fullback room, our running back room. Um, but really trying to across the board address a lot of different positions with guys that we think have a chance to come and help us play, um, including Ari Patu, um, our, our quarterback in his class, um, which everyone's I, I, the who cares what the ranking is. Everybody that's seen him throw live comes back and says, wow, you know, um, guy's got some tools athletically, but also a very accurate passer, strong arm, great human being. So um, this class, I think, is a is very underrated. Uh, I don't know what the ranking is, 
Um, but there are a lot of really good players here that we think can help us out. That's David Shaw putting the wraps on the uh, 23 young men that form Stanford's latest recruiting class, comparing Austin UK to, to Andrus Pete and Walker Little. Pretty high praise uh, for that young man. Uh, UK chose uh, Stanford over USC. Northwestern and Texas, by the way, and and some services have him as a four-star, others as a three-star. Uh, Shaw later went on to say that no matter how many stars those places gave him, it, it wasn't enough. He's he's very high on on what Austin can bring to the program, and perhaps very very quickly and very very soon. Not unlike some things we saw from Miles Hinton, uh, the the true freshman who saw some uh, key playing time in the 2020 season. Now Shaw also acknowledged the fact that they're still playing a bit of catch up from the year that they only recruited one offensive lineman and he never played it down and you know how important having terrific offensive linemen is to the grand scheme of things on how David Shaw wants this program to be and how he wants this team to play football so uh, big stuff from the offensive line uh, for uh, Stanford in this recruiting class a couple of tackles uh, overall, a couple of young men who will be early enrollees for spring quarter, including quarterback Ari Patu, and defensively some help in the secondary and up front. So David Shaw, if you add it all up, is pleased with this class. Then again, all coaches are pleased. I have yet to hear a, hear a coach on National Signing Day have his press conference go, oh my God, these kids are going to, this is the class that's going to get me fired. You know, I can't, this is the best we could do. I'm sorry. The, no, no, a coach isn't going to say that. Now, now, that being said, David Shaw says he's pleaded, uh, pleased about this class. I think he's genuine, as I always think he is when it comes to this. Now, also this, it's no secret that the Pac-12 is facing some existential threats, shall we say, uh, to its football product. And among them, you got high-profile national programs poaching top talent from the Pac-12 footprint. Uh, you got running backs from the East Bay doing huge things for Alabama, hurdling dudes in the Rose Bowl, played in Arlington, Texas, and about to make big-time money uh, in, in, in the NFL draft. And congratulations to them. Top quarterbacks uh, going over to Clemson. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of become a very noticeable trend over the last few years. This year, however, it seemed that the conference schools seemed to do a, a bit of a better job of keeping that top talent on the West Coast. So given that, I asked Coach Shaw what keeping the top guys here on this side of the Rockies, or on the Rockies if you're Colorado, bodes for the future of Pac-12 football, and he, he gave me a pretty honest answer. You know, that is a good question, and I'm probably the one of the people that you probably don't want to ask that question to because I really only care about one of the 12 schools. Um, so uh, for us, I'm, I'm really good with where we are. I think we addressed a lot of those things that we were looking for. We got a great combination of young men joining us. Um, you know, uh, as long as we do well, I'm not really concerned about the rest of the conference. Um, so uh, I know that's been a big talk about guys staying on the West Coast and guys leaving the West Coast. Uh, recruiting, there's a lot of ebb and flow in parts of the nation. Um, so I'm not overly concerned about that. Um, I'm just concerned with us putting the best group of, of young men together to go out there and play this great game. Okay, I get it. That's that's fair. That's that's understandable. Fair enough. And, and look, uh, Shaw's probably less concerned about keeping guys on the West Coast because, well, let's face it, Stanford has to recruit beyond the time zone. 
for obvious reasons. Now, that being said, it's still pretty nice to see the Pac-12 schools doing a better job, it seems, of, of keeping top recruits and having them play in the Conference of Champions. Now it's time to coach them up. And, and, and that is where I think really uh, the, uh, the, the hard work of getting the Pac-12 back uh, towards being in the upper echelon of the power conferences really begins. Recruit them, that's great, but coach them up, get them to play, get them to win big games, and let's see what happens with the conference from there. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate uh, Coach Shaw's uh, a very honest assessment and very honest answer uh, to my question. He'll let you know. He'll let you know, and that's why I was appreciated about talking to uh, David Shaw. By the way, for, for much more recruiting talk, recruiting is not my wheelhouse. I'll be the first to tell you that. That's why I'll also be the first to direct you to RJ Abadia over at thebootleg.com and Jacob Rayburn with the Cardinal Sports Report. Uh, this is in their wheelhouse. This is, you know, recruiting is, is, is a, they do a tremendous job of covering it. We've had both of them on the show, and even one time we had them both on at the exact same time, so... Uh, TheBootleg.com, Cardinal Sports Report. Uh, check out what those guys have done um, with their continued fantastic work with Stanford recruiting. This is obviously keep listening to us here on the TreeCast. Always, you know, don't go away from us. You know, uh, keep us, uh, uh, keep us in your in your Stanford uh, media repertoire. We always appreciate that. We love it when you subscribe and listen to the show. That's free. We also appreciate it when you rate and review the show. That's free, too. So no matter how you listen to your podcasts, your favorite podcasts, and hopefully we're one of them, whether it's Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, we got you. We got you. Check us out. Subscribe, listen, rate, and review the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. We were kind of on an irregular posting schedule. We came at you a couple weeks ago. And if you didn't listen to that episode, that was a one-on-one -on -one conversation with David Shaw. Uh, 30 minutes or so well spent with the head coach. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. Uh, so we will come at you next time, probably within the next couple of weeks or so. And I wouldn't even rule out a show coming your way again next week. But uh, no matter when we come your way, we certainly appreciate you taking time out and uh, checking out the show. Big time special thanks to our special guest, former Stanford men's basketball great and current analyst for the Pac-12 Network and Fox, Casey Jacobson, the one and only. That was fun. That was a lot of fun having that chat. Biggest thanks, as always, goes out to you for being a part of the program. You've got thoughts you want to react. I always welcome them via Twitter. Hashtag TreeCast is the best way to have me see your thoughts. And we will see you next time. Until then, don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. And mask it or casket, we're still here. I mean, even though things are, are, are getting better and the Cardinal are back and competing on campus, still, mask it or casket either yours or someone you love. And be kind. Be nice to people. You never know what they're going through. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for being with us here on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by the Believe Podcast Network.